This passage incorporates three pictures. And you get to decide tonight which picture fits you best. Maybe all three. But it's important that we see, first of all, the context of our text. For the first word in the text is, therefore. And then the phrase, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. What is the writer referring to here? He's referring to chapter 11. No surprise there. When you have the word therefore, it's the hinge on which the argument swings. As the writer moves through the room of chapter 11 into the room of chapter 12, the hinge on which the door swings between them is the word therefore. What do we learn in chapter 11? Chapter 11 has been referred to by many preachers as the hall of faith. And the thing I would have you take away from a study of that chapter someday, and by the way, I won't ask you to raise your hands. How many of you did your homework? I see the smiles. Thank you. The homework, of course, was to read the entire book of Hebrews at one sitting between the morning and evening service. If you didn't get it done today, get it done this week. And after you're finished, you will wish you had done it sooner because there is that much there on which you might feed. But as we look into our text tonight, we are referred back to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. We're referred back to Moses and Israel. And the key words are by faith. It's a prepositional phrase that consists of a single word, piste. It's almost the refrain. If Hebrews 11 were a hymn, it would be the refrain of the hymn. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And what is that faith? Chapter 11 tells us, doesn't it? Faith is the assurance, chapter 11, verse 1, of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen. Or as another translation puts it, faith is being sure of what we hope for and convinced of that which we do not see. So when the writer calls us to look to Jesus, he's calling us to look by faith. And this word, witnesses, that we see in verse 1 is an interesting word because it's the word from which we get our word martyr. The word here is in the plural martyron. And a witness is someone who has been qualified to testify based upon that which they have seen and heard. And the witnesses that are spoken of here are saints. First lesson, there's only one church. God doesn't have a plan B. God's plan is church. That is why the congregation of Israel is called in this book the church in the wilderness. 
And this idea of a witness in the Old Testament is a witness to God's covenant revelation. Sometimes the prophets were witnesses. They prosecuted the covenant lawsuit, what was called the reeve, testifying against Israel as witnesses for the prosecution that the people had been unfaithful. This idea of witness is very important. James Montgomery Boyce went to the University of Babel, Basel, not Babel, to, to write his doctoral thesis on evangelism in the Gospel of John. And before he was done, his dissertation had changed. And he went on to write a book in the Christian Contemporary Thinkers series known as Witness and Revelation in the Gospel of John. For the witness that he discovered in the Gospel of John was the we of apostolic revelation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Witness like John the Baptist in John 1.29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. Sin of the world. And so we are surrounded by witnesses tonight. For the writer will go on in this chapter where I hear yet another service, I would preach 12, 18 through 29. And simply reading the text tells you, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 22, you have come to the city of the living God and to myriads of angels. They are here tonight, for we have come into the presence of God. It's why Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, when I was assigned to the U.S. Army Chaplain School in Fort Jackson, South Carolina, one day began the morning service with an appended greeting. And that greeting was, And if there are also besides our members and visitors any angels of which we are unaware, we greet you as well. They are here. You are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses even tonight. And you are called on the basis of their testimony to three tasks. The first task is to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles you and to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Now this image of a runner, particular particularly not just a jogger, but a runner in a race, is a prominent picture in the New Testament. What does Paul say in Philippians 3? Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What does he say in 1 Corinthians 9? Do you not know that in a race many runners compete, but only one wins the prize? So run that you may win. And so here also, the writer says, let us run. Now there's a few of us whom I know in the congregation did some of the same kind of running I did, and that was in the army. And one of the things we had to do before we ran was warm up. And in order that we could warm up our muscles 
so that we wouldn't strain or pull them when we ran, we were wearing warm-up suits. But when the order of the first sergeant came to fall in, we stripped off the warm-up suits. It was time to stop stretching. It was time to stop warming up. And it was time to run. That's what the writer is saying here. Let us lay aside every entanglement that so easy, and the sin which so easily besets us. My first question to you tonight is, are you running? Or has something easily entangled you? One of the other things that characterized an army run was something called a guide-on-bearer, the man carrying the unit flag. And sometimes the company commander would send the guide-on-runner to the back of the pack, running against the direction of the formation to pick up the stragglers, coming alongside them, encouraging them, said, come on, get back in formation, you can do this. We're a unit, we're a team, let's run together. And sometimes when we allow sin and weight to so easily entangle us, we stumble, we falter, we fall behind, and we are in danger, according to the writer, of falling out. And Christ comes to us, clothed in his gospel this evening, and asks you, are you running? Or have you wearied? Have you been distracted by something that is preoccupying you? Or are you facing forward, singing as you go For You see, when soldiers run, they sing. One of the reasons why the command does that is to tell if the pace is right. Because if soldiers can't sing while they run, they're either out of shape or the pace is too fast. Christ sets the pace for us. He, for the joy that was set before him, the joy of bringing many sons to glory, endured the cross, despised its shame. And now, having ascended on high, he has led captivity captive, a train of captains. Captives. He is the one who leads the formation. And I ask you tonight are you running? Or have you bumped into somebody else in the formation and stumbled and slowed? The writer says, Let us cast aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance, the race that God has set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Are you looking to Jesus tonight? Or like Peter, when Jesus was walking on the water and bid him come, walk on the water with him. And Peter stepped out of the boat, and Peter took his eyes off Jesus He felt the wind in his face and the waves lapping over his feet. And he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink and cried out, Lord, help me for I perish. 
Are you running? Are you walking? Have you stopped? Christ comes like the guidon bearer from the front of the formation which is the church alongside of you like the advocate that he is for that is what the word advocate means parakletos the one who comes alongside and through his word as Calvin says he comes to you tonight clothed in his gospel saying for the joy that was set before me I endured the cross I despised its shame in order to bring you many sons to glory now run with me are you running or have you tired look to Jesus beloved look to Jesus look to Jesus tonight for he bids you come it's like the hymn writer says come you disconsolate where e'er you languish come to the mercy seat fervently kneel here here bring your wounded heart Here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. But we are called not only to run, but to fight. Notice the second picture that the writer gives us. He says, For consider him who has endured, verse 3, such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Him. Look to Him as you run. Consider Him as you fight. For though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. For our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every vain imagination that exalts itself against God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Are you striving? Have you considered Him who endured such hostility from sinners for your sake? See from His head, His hands, His feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? He who was beaten, crowned with thorns. He who was pierced with a spear in his side. He who had nails driven into his hands and feet whose body poured out blood and water so that your sins might be washed away. Have you considered him? Or is there something just more important to you than Jesus? God forbid. Christ comes to us offering to bless us, but a clenched fist can receive nothing, only the open hand of repentance. Christ can arm us with the whole armor of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word, the shield of faith, by which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. But Christ will not arm a rebellious soldier. Have you considered him who endured such hostility from sinners? So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. I said this morning from the pulpit, and I'll say it again, not as a prophecy, but as an opinion. Days of persecution are coming upon the American church. We saw the first fruits of it during COVID. And if you think you're done, you might be wrong. So you better be ready to fight. What did Paul say at the end of his ministry in 2 Timothy? I have run the race. I have fought the good fight. Hence, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me, and to all who have loved his appearing. Do you love Christ's appearing, beloved? Are you running? Are you fighting? Will you be able to say in that day, I have run the race that God has set before me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. The gospel martyr of 1958, Jim Elliott, said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are you really willing to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose? If so, then keep fighting. Keep striving. We struggle. We all struggle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There are times when I want to drive thoughts from my mind that are so besetting that I shout out loud, Go away! Am I crazy? I hope not. But if that's what it takes to have the mind of Christ, to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to strive against sin, to give it no quarter, to give it no foothold, then that's what we must do. There is a third picture that is given to us here. We have seen the picture of the runner in the race. We have seen the picture of the warrior in the fight. The third picture we're given here is of the child in his father's house. Notice what he says in verses 5 through 17. This is the largest of the portions of our text tonight. The NASB translates it, and you have forgotten The ESV puts it in the form of a question. The words are the same. Have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? We should not be surprised that the writer asks these questions because as as we saw this morning, the whole letter to the Hebrews, as the writer himself styles it in chapter 13, verse 22, is a brief word of exhortation. In fact, he's repetitively redundant, if that's even possible. He says, I exhort you to 
to bear with this brief word of exhortation. Parakaleo is the root. It's the same word in the original in both cases. And it's the same word here. Have you forgotten the word with which your father has come alongside you? I don't know about you, but I can remember walking into the living room of my own house and knowing I was in trouble. Nobody had to say it was this. You too? I had friends, sons of a minister, three sons. And the minister and his wife, and I won't mention their names, always knew when the sons had been in trouble. Because you see, there was two ways to get to their bedrooms. One was through the living room. The other was through the kitchen. And the parents could always tell when the sons had been in trouble. Because they never went through the living room. And they always went through the kitchen. And sometimes the father comes alongside. I can remember once having my driver's license taken away from me by my father. I was not a happy camper. I had waited a long time to get that. But I needed some exhortation. And my father certainly supplied it. Have you forgotten the word of exhortation which your father directs to you as sons? And here notice that he quotes from the book of Proverbs. And light is shed for us on how we are being addressed. For who is the author of Proverbs? But Solomon. And who was Solomon? But the son of David. And who was David? But the king. So Solomon is addressing royal sons here. The heirs of the kingdom. In Proverbs 3 verse 11. And Hebrews infallibly interprets Proverbs 3.11 for us in addressing this quote to you as Christ's church. You are heirs of the kingdom of your Father. What is Jesus going to say in the great day when the Son of Man comes in glory with all His holy angels? According to Matthew 25, verse 31. Come, O blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. And just as the writer to the Hebrews addressed his readers, so by the infallible inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God addresses you tonight as sons and daughters of the King. And he has a word for you tonight. And I ask you to listen to it. The word is this, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. God is dealing with you as sons. And he chastens every one whom he receives. Your suffering as a Christian is your title, your certification, the badge of your sonship. If you have no discipline, you are illegitimate, the writer says. 
The American church has long endured times of peace and prosperity to such a great extent that I fear we have forgotten the exhortation that God addresses to us as sons. The day may be coming when the words of 1 John 3 will apply to you. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And every child whom he receives, he chastens. Are you dealing with physical problems? Regarded as chastening. The Lord is shaping you to rule and reign with Christ one day. Is there too much month at the end of the money? Yes, I said it that way on purpose. God is treating you as his children. Are there there difficulties in your life at work or in your neighborhood? God is treating you as sons and daughters of the king. And it changes when we understand Proverbs the way Solomon wrote it to his own son. It changes the whole way we look at discipline. For as it was for Christ, what is the writer to say in Hebrews 2? It was fitting for the author of our salvation to be made perfect through suffering, Hebrews 2. To bring, why? To bring many sons to glory. So that one day, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus will speak the words of Isaiah 8 and say say to the Father, Here I am and the children whom you have given me. Do you want to be there? Oh, beloved, I want to be there, but there's only one way. There's no way around suffering. There's no way over suffering. There's no way under suffering. God makes his sons perfect through suffering. What does it say in Hebrews 5? Though he was the son... He learned obedience by the things he suffered. If the Son of God could only learn obedience by the things he suffered as he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, as we read in Luke 2, verse 52, if the only way the Son of God could be readied for the cross was to be made perfect through suffering, Beloved, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a disciple greater than his teacher. It is enough when a disciple is fully taught to be like his teacher. So if you're looking for a suffering-free Christianity, you might as well go look for a square circle. There is no such thing. My question for you is, have you laid aside the weight that so easily entangles you? Have you cast aside the sins that so easily beset you? Have you forgotten the exhortation that God addresses to you as sons? My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Whatever it is, I speak from my own experience. 
Fifteen months ago, my wife was alive. She's in heaven now. It is harder than war. And I have known war firsthand. But God chastens every son whom he receives. And he will make you like Christ. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. If God has to spin the universe in the opposite direction to make you like Jesus, he will do it. He will spare nothing. I'm reminded of Sinclair Ferguson's story as a young Glaswegian. Do you know what a Glaswegian is? It's a resident of the city of Glasgow, Scotland. He was a little boy, and this was the day, back in the day, when the door plates were brass and the door stops were brass and the doorknobs were brass. And once a month, it was the day for the polishing of the brasses. And Sinclair, as he tells, told the story from the pulpit one day at First Presbyterian Church when I was present, was polishing the doorknob and polishing the doorknob and polishing the doorknob. And as little children would want to do, he was getting bored and he was getting tired. And he finally said to his, Mom, Mother, when will I be done? And she said, when you can see your own reflection perfectly in the brass doorknob. And beloved in the Lord, Christ will not stop polishing you until he can see his reflection perfectly in you. Have you forgotten the exhortation that God addresses you as sons? You're sons of the king. Your daughters of the Holy One. What's the response we're to have then? Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. What are we to do? Pursue peace with all men. You want to please your Father in heaven? Pursue peace with, peace with all men. And the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You want to do your Father's will? See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble among you, defiling the many. It is as Peter says in chapter 1 of his first letter. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We have seen three pictures given to us by the writer to the Hebrews, all of them as exhortations to us. They are all cohortatives, if you know what that means. If you don't, I'll explain it briefly. A cohortative is an exhortation to you that begins with the word, let us. This morning I gave you three leaves of let us to chew on. Here's a few more for your salad. Take it home with you. Chew on it. Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. 
Let us do the things which make for peace and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Are your eyes fixed on Jesus tonight? I remember well the birth of my three sons. I was with my wife in the labor and delivery room. And one of the things that she had been taught in childbirth training was to have a focal point because she knew the labor would be hard, the contractions would be strong, and the birth would be difficult. But she wanted to participate fully in the coming of her children into the world. And so she had a focal point. We made sure it was not the clock, which seemed to stop whenever you stared at it, when a contraction would come. But she had a focal point, and she wouldn't take her eyes off it. So that no matter how hard the contraction was, no matter how strong the urge was, she stayed her, kept her eyes fixed. And as John 16 says, when a woman is in labor, she feels the pain, but she forgets her pain when she receives the, ch- the joy that her child has come into the world. Right now, the whole universe labors in the pangs of childbirth. The whole creation groans, Paul says, in travail, in labor, until now. For the creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the glorious liberty of the children of God. One day, you and I will dwell with perfect bodies, free from sin, in, a hev- in the hev- new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So my closing exhortation to you is tonight, what are you looking at? You know, I'm from New Jersey. I've told you that this morning. And whenever anybody stares at you in New Jersey, that's the appropriate response. What are you looking at? Beloved, tonight, what are you looking at? What are your eyes fixed on? Are you running? Are you fighting? Are you learning from your Father in heaven? So run that you may win the race. So fight that you may win the war. So learn that you might be remade into the image of Christ. Let us pray.